Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, a podcast that's all about comic book movies, brought to you by FilmDivider.com. I'm Joe Cunningham, and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... Seb Patrick. And James Hunt. I feel like we're off to a bad start. I was hoping for Seb Quatrick this week, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, and James Duck Hunt. <laughs> yeah, Duck Hunt. Oh, amazing. Uh, get ready for a lot of duck puns in this episode. Uh, <laughs> we'll be discussing the latest comic book movie and TV news before launching into our spoiler-filled discussion of Willard Hoek's... Mallard Hoyks, 1986 film Howard the Duck. But before any of that, I'm going to ask Seb and James to explain a comic book concept that as a movie fan, I just don't understand. So Seb, James, can you explain to me the relationship between Storm and Black Panther? Uh, marriage of convenience. <laughs> Chris Claremont did an issue of X-Men ages ago, possibly even classic X-Men, which was specifically designed to in, like do continuity inserts into old stories. Right. Um, and he he had the Black Panther and Storm meeting up when they were teenagers and falling in love. And then, sort of 30 years later, someone at Marvel decided to dredge that idea up because Storm was their highest-profile black woman and the Black Panther was their highest-profile black male. And, yeah, they, they dragged that back up to do a storyline based around the two, uh, sort of to try and raise the Black Panther's profile, possibly. Okay, so, I, I mean, I knew that Storm was African, but is she Wakandan? So when she was created by Len Wein for the um, the all-new X-Men in the 1970s, um, he wrote her as African and had in his head a backstory for her in which she was basically an African goddess. Um, but he only wrote the very first story with that X-Men team in, and after that, Chris Claremont came on as writer, um, and Storm's backstory hadn't been explored in that first issue, so Chris Claremont gave her a completely different backstory, where she was actually born in Harlem, um, but then moved to Africa and grew up there for part of her, her growing up. So she's she's kind of half African, half American in terms of her upbringing and her background and stuff. And Chris Claremont said that what he liked about this was that it sort of um, gave her like a kind of a foot in both camps in much the same way um, as being someone who on the one hand is a mutant and on the other hand kind of has this, you know, lives in this place where she's perceived as a goddess. So, you know, it's kind of all about the dichotomy with Storm, really, which I think then sort of the Black Panther thing, you know, the, the kind of main story thread they did with that was 
her divided loyalties between you know her kind of x-men family and her duties as queen of wakanda and sort of you know making her have to choose between them okay and so marvel then kind of just what put those characters together into a romance and is that is that still the status quo now no they divorced ages ago it like it was a finite story really you couldn't there's not a lot you can do with Storm as a Wakandan queen because, like, like her basic character is that she's created as a, a component of the X-Men team. So she doesn't really work as a in, in any other context. Okay, and so um, do, do those two characters still interact now or is that are they kind of kept separate? I think, actually, it might have been Avengers vs. X-Men that split them up for good. I don't think they've met since then. But I mean, I don't, you know, I don't pay close attention to what Black Panther's doing at any given time. I was going to say, I mean, because so. Black Panther's probably mostly just been off doing Illuminati stuff, I guess. Like, those yeah. characters have really kind of been off in their own corner ever since Jonathan Hickman started doing that storyline, really. Yeah, I so. mean, that's why they were never very good together anyway, because their stories just don't intersect in any meaningful yeah. way. Right, and then just one little addendum because of the Fantastic Four comic I read a couple of weeks ago. Does Black Panther still have anything to do with the Fantastic Four, or is that kind of was that just kind of his origin and since he's been an Avenger? Well, again, I mean, Reed Richards is one of the Illuminati, isn't he? So he's been hanging out with him, right? Um, okay. And that all started in Hickman's Fantastic Four comics, didn't it? Well, after after Civil War, Storm and Black Panther replaced Reed and Sue in the Fantastic Four for a while. Okay, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, he'll always be part of that that world, but it's only you know only. Just only because he first appeared in that comic, so he's got that tie there. Yeah. Um, Let's move on now to uh, some of the comic book movie and TV news that has broken over the past week. Um, And the first piece of news is that Mads Mikkelsen is being rumoured to be playing the main Doctor Strange villain. And that's interesting for a couple of reasons. We already knew that Chiwetel Ejiofor had been cast in the film as Baron Mordo, um, who... I believe on the page, guys, is kind of originally a friend of Stephen Strange and then a rival. Yeah, he's like, um, they were both the apprentice of the Ancient One and Doctor Strange was sort of the good one and Baron Mordo was the bad one. So he's he's basically the master to Doctor Strange's The Doctor then. Right, okay. And that sounds like something that is going to happen in the film. We're going to see Stephen Strange go out and find the Ancient One and be trained. So that would make sense if that still happens. But you would kind of almost imagine in kind of like a Thor-Loki way that that would... I think I think my assumption was just that he would then be the main villain at the end. His function is to, generally speaking, is to kind of involve greater powers in problematic ways. Like, he, I can tell you now, he'll almost certainly... Mads Mikkelsen will almost certainly be playing Dormammu. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. He, he yeah. has got to be Dormammu. <laughs> tell, tell me more about this character. So Dormammu is like... Uh, he's a kind of demon slash wizard figure who will give Baron Mordo more power for being his apprentice. He he is simultaneously one of Marvel's coolest and shittest character designs as In well. In what way is he cool? Because he's a guy with a flaming head. <laughs> so is Ghost Rider and he also has a motorcycle. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, point, you can totally see Mickelson as that. I mean, actually, when, when he was announced, the first one of the first things I saw said in relation to it was, um, damn it, Fox have dropped the ball by not casting him as Doctor Doom. Um, but I think Dormammu is a, a pretty good substitute. The thing about Doctor Strange, I mean, that, that you know that cast is looking more interesting by the minute, and I just wish I cared a bit more about that whole... <laughs> I've never been interested in any of that whole area of Marvel. Like, the, the closest I think I've been to being interested in that side of Marvel is Howard the Duck, 
basically, because <laughs> uh, he's hung out with Doctor Strange a bit. But it's it, it is looking very impressive, isn't it? Because I mean, we got Benedict Cumberbatch, um, who he faced off against Mads Mikkelsen's brother in Sherlock, so that'd be a that'd be a nice <laughs> one to, uh, to 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 take on both Mikkelsen brothers. You've got. <laughs> Chiwetel and um, Tilda Swinton. I mean, there's Oscar nominations flying all over that cast, and Oscar wins. And and now you're taking, I don't know. I think one of the, I, I think flat out one of the best actors around, screen and uh, big screen and small screen at the moment. He's he's definitely one of the most kind of compelling presences, isn't he? He's like you just you can't ignore him when he's when he's around. But yeah, the, um, I think the Doctor Strange cast is looking um, very interesting, um, and uh, yeah, I think I think uh, an origin story at that part of Phase Three might be quite nice because seamless segue. We're hearing a lot more about Captain America Civil War, and that film sounds and looks absolutely bonkers. So, guys, we we know that at Disney's D23, they kind of showed the first trailer for the movie, which I presume we'll probably get in the next few months. And what that trailer that played at D23 hinted at was the, um, the two teams that are going to be assembling when Captain America and Iron Man face off. Um, and some promo art leaks this week, which Jeremy Renner has now confirmed um, is accurate on Twitter. Um, so we know kind of like the main five members who are on each team. Captain America's team, there is um, Sharon Carter, Yay. Falcon, the Winter Soldier, um, who looks, he's, you know, he's shaved, he looks, looks like he might have his brain <laughs> back. Um, Hawkeye, and on Hawkeye's shoulder, Ant-Man. Also pictured is a Falcon-like drone, which I um, uh, I'm led to believe is going to be the equivalent of Red Wing in this movie. Falcon's bird buddy. Um, and then Iron Man is going to be joined by Black Widow, War Machine, Black Panther, and Vision. Uh, which is interesting given that we kind of told that Black Panther was a kind of like caught between the two sides. Um, so that that might be a hint that maybe as soon as Winter Soldier turns up on uh, Captain America's side, um, that makes Black Panther's mind up for him. Or alternatively, I mean, he could be on one side at one point and on one side at the other. Yes. The thing that surprises me is Hawkeye and Black Widow being on opposing sides, and I wonder if Hawkeye could end up on the other side at some point as well. It, you know, there could be a bit of switching going on. There must be, because some of those members of um, Iron Man's team are on Cap's new Avengers at the end. Of. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, most of them, other than Black Panther, Vision, Black Widow and War Machine are all with Cap yeah. at the start of that movie. We know that. I do I do think that Black Widow is probably going to be a plant in Iron Man's team. That would because, be cool. Because, you know, that's her job. Yeah. And 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 she yeah because the thing is you know the two characters who she's closest to are Hawkeye and Captain America so mm. it would have to be something pretty big for her to be on the other side really yeah and apparently the trailer that played at D twenty three kind of played up the fact that Black Widow and Hawkeye were fighting while we're talking about Hawkeye um, can we just remark on the fact that he seems to be wearing Kate Bishop's costume. <laughs> Yeah. Like the the, the one arm exposed, the bright purple. Maybe they're setting it up for her to take over. But she just doesn't even need a new suit. She says, I'll have that one when Jeremy Renner dies. But interestingly, so these teams, they do seem to sync up with um, the rumour that was on Heroic Hollywood earlier in the year. The, the only addition they really had was that uh, Scarlet Witch was on Captain America's side still. And obviously she is absent from these pictures. I assume we're probably going to have lots of little characters popping up here and there. It sounds like from all the rumours that Spider-Man is going to be 
helped out by Tony Stark so that maybe if he does ever join any kind of fight he would be on Iron Man's side. It's kind of odd that that traditionally the characters on Tony Stark's side were pro-registration and yet three of them wear masks whereas on Captain America's <laughs> side which is saying like keep your identity secret two of them have no living relatives. They could always flip it it could always be that Cap's side is pro-registration and um, the problem is I don't know what if that makes character sense I mean it does in the sense of you know Steve Rogers being on the side of the government but then you know Winter Soldier was all about Steve Rogers realising that you know the government aren't always the right people and you know it's a, it's a more interesting character thing if Captain America sides against the government in that story everything you know? that we heard about the trailer that played at D23 apparently was Thunderbolt Ross talking about is Captain America a hero or is he more of a vigilante and is is he dangerous and does he need to be kept in line and mm. And that the other team are the ones that, are, that agree with that. The other thing is that just, I mean, you mentioned power, but like, aside from Cap, you know, the weight of power is so <laughs> much more on Stark's side. You know, that's not a balanced pair of, of, of teams at all. <laughs> yeah, it's not, is it? <laughs> you know, if, if, if they were picking teams at school, like, you know, that's that's a completely unfair <laughs> balance in there. Well, so he really, do, yeah, may, maybe it evens it up if you, if you throw an inexperienced Spider-Man onto Iron Man's side and Scarlet Witch onto Gap's. Yeah, I mean, Scarlet Witch would definitely go some way to evening those odds, wouldn't it? Yeah, Yeah. and and to be honest, I've forgotten who else is supposed to be in this movie, who could pop up and show up on different teams. Crossbones is in it, isn't he? Well, and there's also Baron Zemo and the whole Hydra faction that we haven't even taken (laughs) into account. They'll be playing the Baron Strucker role of being killed in about the first three seconds. I think probably the, the Civil War will be the prelude to them being distracted and something worse going on in the background I just hope it doesn't be that they have to fight together at the end, I would quite like for them to finish this movie at least still not fully on the same side Joe, am I right in thinking you haven't read Civil War? Uh, No, I haven't read Civil War So, basically anything they do will be better than the ending to the actual Civil War I'm aware that Captain America gets assassinated by Crossbones right at the end yeah? That that's not no, in that's... the that's not in Civil War. That happens just after Civil War. Okay. Yeah. My prediction is that that happens in the movie. It would be very. It, you know, it seems like it could. I think that would be great. Yeah. I don't want them to kill off Steve Rogers. I know that's the way it's going. Kill Steve Rogers here. Kill Thor and Ragnarok, and have Iron Man as the only like proper original Avenger left because Hulk is pissing around in space or in his little jet somewhere. Um, and then Iron Man fails hideously and um, they fail to stop Thanos in Infinity War Part 1 only for all the original heroes to be brought back in Part 2 and then they defeat him that's cool isn't it that's cool let's do that should we do that I like that makes for yeah. a depressing set of movies up until uh, it's the gonna, last one though. you know Infinity War is going to end on a downer yeah it has the to first it one. has to yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, it's it's going to be an Empire Strikes Back type yeah. cliffhanger situation. But could they yeah. not just do what they do on the page, which is Thanos kills all the heroes, and then in one of the movies in between, maybe Star Lord does something awesome because he's not on Earth yet. I, I, what I really want is for a really minor character to end up saving the day. In the in <laughs> at the end of Phase Three, I would like it to come down to someone complete. Howard the Duck. What if Howard the Duck <laughs> saved the day right at the end of Phase Three? Would we be happy with that? Uh, yeah. 
Does it does it work as a good segue? Uh, let's, let's say yes. Let, let's say it does. Yeah. Amazing segue. <laughs> because what we're going to do is we're going to move on now to our spoiler-filled discussion of Howard the Duck. Um, how how could we spoil it more than? Uh, we'll get to that. But before we dive in, let's listen to a very disturbing scene from the movie. Wait a second. Maybe you're just the kind of bizarro influence we need. Forget it. No more jobs here. Uh-uh, I think you'd be a great manager. I'm going to suggest it to the girls. I've given up trying to assimilate. Mm-hmm. I've got to get back to my own kind. Although... I have developed a greater appreciation for the female version of the human anatomy. Oh! Howard, you really are the worst. <laughs> Come on, let's watch David Letterman. Hmm. Come on. Okie dokie. You know, I got a feeling my life's really gonna change since you fell into a ducky. Yeah, well, I'm glad somebody's happy. If I could just get my career back on course, I'd only have the old standard word left. What's that? I just can't seem to find the right man. Maybe it's not a man you should be looking for. Ah. Uh, do you think I might find happiness in the animal kingdom, ducky? Like they say, Dal. Love strange. We could always give it a try. Okay, so that was a little taste of Howard the Duck. Um, I hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. Um, <laughs> we're probably not going to be able to go too deep into, you know, themes and ideas and what this movie is trying to get across <laughs> and do this week because it's Howard the Duck. So <laughs> I'd like to spend quite a bit of time to begin with talking about basically what this podcast was set up to do is discussing the comic books behind the movies. So Howard the Duck on the page, what defines him on the page? What's his history? Is he like? Is he just a pastiche of Donald and Daffy Duck? I don't get him. What is Howard the Duck? Try and imagine, right, the complete opposite everything that the movie is about <laughs> and then you've basically got the comic but the comic like, is uh, set in cleveland right because that's yeah, important and it has a character called beverly in it yeah and, and a, car- <laughs> a character called howard the duck yeah <laughs> is he in the comics is his surname duck because in this movie his name is howard, howard t, t. Duck. duck i don't know if his middle name is he's just he's just called howard and he's yeah. a duck yeah yeah and he is he from a planet where there are two moons this is immediately kind of one of the biggest key differences and yeah. one of the things that's annoying about the film. There is no point ever getting into where Howard comes from in the comic. It's never shown. Like, he is from Duckworld. Yeah, but it's... Steve Gerber wasn't interested in that. Like, yeah. that. Steve Gerber tells it Howard's from an, a reality populated with anthropomorphic animals, which is to say a pastiche of sort of the Disney world. Okay, but not just ducks. Not just ducks, no, like all different animals. Okay. But he, he, I don't think he ever showed that himself. And then later creators said uh, okay. Howard was from a world full of ducks. Yeah, I was going to say, because I didn't think I'd seen it in the Gerber run, because it's just, it's just so unimportant yeah. to the Gerber run. It's just, it's just not what it's about, you know. So what is it about? The Gerber run is a kind of absurdist satire. Howard is a mouthpiece for Steve Gerber. And that's kind of why it's hard for anyone to do Howard without Gerber. So what's he satirising with Howard the Duck? Because I've seen some of the original issues. He looks like 
Donald Duck. Yeah, but it's just, I mean, stuff like that is incidental. Like, the, the kind of the surface trappings of Howard are just completely incidental. And the fact that he's a talking duck who looks like Donald Duck is just part of, I don't want to say the joke because Steve Gerber had this line about how there was no joke in Howard the Duck, but because it's just, it's just this massively existentialist satire on the absurdity of life, basically. It really is just Steve Gerber going life is just ridiculous and tragedy and comedy are right next to one another and that kind of thing so how i mean because he doesn't sound like he should be a character from what you're saying who would fit naturally in the marvel universe (laughs) like it sounds to me like he should be like the ninja turtles or something completely separate some independent comics publisher putting out you're you're exactly right in that but this is from a time when marvel had this policy of allowing editors to write their own books so if you were an editor at marvel you could essentially do whatever you wanted and publish when was this by the way um, so uh, early 70s so 73 was when he first appeared right and when did the solo series start was it yeah it wouldn't have been long after would it 76 I think really the reason why Howard the Duck is a Marvel comic is because Steve Gerber was working for Marvel at the time it, it's yeah, the long exactly and short that. of it right um, you know so he happens to be in the Marvel universe and Gerber decided that rather than just have him be because you, you know he could have published it at Marvel and had him be completely separate but as it is, he did actually have him interacting with other characters. You know, Spider-Man is in the first issue of Howard's... I mean, Howard, that's not his first appearance, but that's the first issue of his solo series. He first appeared in... And if you've never heard of this comic before, he... Well, he didn't first appear... But he first appeared alongside the character Man-Thing and then appeared in an issue of Man-Thing's own series, which is titled giant Size Man-Thing. Yeah, I've heard of that before. <laughs> um, Man-Thing being a character who appeared like the same month as Swamp Thing and who is basically identical because the two people who created Man-Thing and Swamp Thing were like roommates right? and they created characters for Marvel and DC that were basically identical. Man-Thing has been uh, referenced in the Marvel Cinematic Universe on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. so it doesn't count. Ah. But Kobe <laughs> Smulders was the one who did it so a little bit of legitimacy. <laughs> but basically yeah, kind of Steve Gerber was, was working on Man-Thing and created this character and then spun him off into his own book and then basically used the book to begin with as a parody not just of not again parody is the wrong word really yeah like parody um, implies something much broader yeah. than how the duck is like it's, it's a so... satire on comics but it's not really a parody of comics I mean, he does, like... Because the thing is, kind of, particularly in the early issues, each issue is kind of focused on a particular type of comic. So there's, like, a horror comics one, um, and there is a, a very firmly superhero comic. And that's actually the most pastiche issue is probably issue two. And then there's a there's the Kung Fu issue, which is where Quack... God, they love saying Quack Fu in the movie, but that does actually come from the comic. <laughs> oh, wow. So you can't really yeah. blame the movie. It's like the movie went, oh, wow, they made one pun in the history of the comic if we're going to use it as much as possible. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's there's... There's issues, you know, that sort of parody or, or lampoon is the wrong word, but that sort of touch on and and satirise. But again, they don't even satirise the comics themselves. They kind of use the trappings of those comics to then convey the satire about society that is what Gerber's really interested in. So what we're learning <laughs> is that Howard the Duck is a very complex comic and the movie was a not very complex and movie. What, but what's Howard actually doing in these comics? I'd heard that he was a private eye before, is that true? 
Um, he's a private eye in the most recent comics, which I think we'll end up talking about later. But but really, no, he's just he's just kind of making his way. He basically he finds yeah, himself suddenly he's... on Earth. Um, he runs into Beverly when he's about to commit suicide by jumping off a tower that turns out to be made out of credit cards, and she's being held hostage in, at the top of it because the first issue is kind of a parody of sort of um, not exactly sword and sorcery, but kind of you know fantasy sort of Conan the Barbarian type elements. Um, and but and then he he moves in with her in Cleveland, and you know neither of them have any money, and he's just kind of blundering around life, um, just getting into scrapes pretty much. Right, um, stuff kind of happens to him. One of the one of the jokes of Howard is that he's not anything special; like he is just a man who happens to be a duck. Yeah. Like, on his world, he is just an average guy, yeah. and that is sort of the point of him. I also think it's kind of important to... And this is a really daft distinction to make, but I think it's one of the things that the movie fundamentally gets wrong. He is a duck. I mean, okay, like, you know, he, he has hands and he talks, but the movie, I think, and this is a problem in the execution, really, makes him a duck man, and it's not really yeah. the same thing. Except he has you know? evolved from ducks. Like exactly. we evolved but from that's... monkeys, and he has evolved from yeah. a duck. Oh God! Well, let's get let's get onto that bit later. The thing I like about <laughs> that scene is that it includes Neanderthals in the human lineage. <laughs> I like the fact that I like the fact that it has an actual scientist saying the phrase "humans evolved from monkeys." Yeah, <laughs> but he's so he's just a duck. Is he like duck sized, or is he? How tall is yeah. he? He's like a large duck. Yeah, he's a large duck. But it's just I just think as I say, the the movie goes a bit too much anthropomorphized with the anthropomorphizing i think because part of the inherent absurdity is the fact that he's a duck you know um and it because he's a duck who does not act like a duck at all one of the things the movie is is completely inconsistent about whether people recognize that he's a duck or a person or not (laughs) yeah like you have segments where people are just looking at him and screaming and running away and then suddenly he's getting a job at the job centre yeah. and no one is batting oh, an eye. Oh, that's a really great Halloween costume. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I don't know if I should be really, like, medically enhanced to watch this movie uh, or, or to survive <laughs> Anything this conversation that gets it about is, it. is completely acceptable. The comic was definitely aimed at people who were high because it's a mid-to-late 1970s Marvel comic and <laughs> Stone College students were, like, the primary audience and that's why this became such a cult hit. Um, you know the the fact that it's actually got these kind of ridiculous layers of meaning is actually I don't think that's so much the reason why it was a hit in the first place, but I think it's the reason why it's endured. You know, but and so can, um, can you explain why George Lucas, who I don't think we mentioned yet, why George Lucas wanted to produce this as kind of basically his next thing after Star Wars? Well, he didn't originally because I believe he actually picked up on it before Star Wars. I think it, it was post American Graffiti mm. that he discovered the comic and loved it and said, "I want to make a film of this one day." But it wasn't until post Star Wars that he had the clout to do so. And unfortunately, by the time he was post Star Wars, people wanted a George Lucas movie. So it's worth pointing out that like Howard the Duck was a fairly big phenomenon at the time, at least in like the sort of college circuit. Like, yeah, is is Ninja Turtles an apt comparison? Yeah, I think. May, yeah, I mean, to an oh, okay, not not as big as Ninja Turtles were during the, like the merchandising boom. So not as big as they were after like the cartoon and the movie. Yeah, but as big as the turtles were when the comic first yeah, hit. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it was that kind of level, 80, I think. 85, 86 Ninja Turtles, maybe. Like, the, uh, Howard ran for president and got write-in votes in the in the 76 presidential campaign like to the right. to a degree where it was worth <laughs> noting like that's the that's the level of phenomenon we're talking about here okay so i guess that goes some ways to explain why this is this is pretty much the first theatrically released marvel movie i think it, yeah, I think it literally is <laughs> yeah. there's the captain america serial and a bunch of tv movies but this is pretty much marvel's debut on the big screen yep Oh, they've come you a long can see way, why it they? was so long before the next one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so what? So what from the comics actually does make it into this film? So okay, Howard and Beverly, and Howard moving in with Beverly. The villains, the Dark Overlords. Is that is that a thing from the comics? No, not that I've ever seen. No, it's not, it's not a Marvel thing. What in, in any shape or form? I mean, only in the sense that there are some there are some Marvel characters who are sort of Lovecraftian inspired, but not in any direct sense. I think the film references Sominus as like a region of. Does it reference Sominus as like the region of space that the Dark Overlords come from, or something? I'm sure. It, I'm sure the word Sominus flashes up on a screen, and Sominus is where uh, Thog, the Overmaster, who is the the demon that basically abducted Howard and dropped him on Earth in the first place, comes from. So there's a bit of like name checking lip service as well right and there's the fact that he says quack foo a few times <laughs> um, but other than that based and the fact that it's in cleveland yeah i mean beverly bears little to no relation although yeah, I, th- I will say the film gets criticism for playing up the idea of there being a romantic relationship between the two that's not the film's creation that's in the comics as well it's maybe not as explicit as it is in the film but it is in it's implied in the comic it implied how implied that there's a bit of like romantic entanglement or sexual entanglement it's the kind of thing like you'd see them in bed together maybe but that would be the extent of it, as opposed to what the film does. There were there were some panels that that actually had to get redrawn before publication that made it look more like they were sitting up in bed together, having spent the night together, and then that got changed. And generally, when you see Howard in Beverly's apartment, um, you know he's not sleeping in the same bed as her or anything. But they do have a quite boyfriendy, girlfriendy kind of relationship. Right. I mean, it's kind of it, it's on and off and up and down in the comics. And Beverly actually kind of disappears for about ten issues of the comic. Um, they get separated, and uh, she ends up marrying a villain, and it's all very confusing. <laughs> so it's. I think the film the film latches onto it. I think with a bit too much glee. But the film didn't invent it. Right. The film kind of took something that was implicit from the comics and just ran with it in a really weird and creepy way. But beyond that, as as far as like plot goes as far as what it's about as far as kind of you know the idea of there being a villain who's doing this and that nothing nothing in this film comes from the comic (laughs) okay well let's start to try and pick this film apart then um i think chronologically because i really would like to start with Duckworld. we don't spend very long there but man it sears itself onto your brain and you will (laughs) never get rid of what you see there I can't understand why he wants to go back. Why Why is everything puns based around ducks, right? Because, like, on Earth, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark isn't called Raiders of the Lost Thing a Human Says. You, you know what I mean? Mm. It's just, like, all, all of the kind of... Even the fact that it's called Duck World... Like it's so you know it's Earth, so Earth isn't called Person World. I mean it's it's know? something um, it's something that like it it reminded me a little bit of Cars the Pixar movie that mm. a man that for a kids movie that movie messes with my brain every time I'm watching it because I'm like 
but like, are they mechanical or are they organic? Yeah. <laughs> and who built the roads? And why are there yeah. buildings? And how come he has a tongue hanging out? And you're telling me these cars have their parts replaced and they sleep, but they also have petrol put in? Like, what are the rules of this world? It really, really bothers me, guys. And this was the same thing. Because it's like, do they know that they are ducks and that somewhere else there are people and that their world is like the world of people but a bit different? Well, Howard said he knew that they evolved from ducks. Yeah, but like, you know, their world, everything is still kind of human-sized, but they're all small. So it's like, why have they not built a world designed for ducks? But they live in, like, a world that's designed for people. And why, it's, and why uh, are they going on about being ducks so much? Yeah, we, we, exactly, don't, yeah, yeah. we don't go around making ducks. puns about dunk- monkeys all the time. <laughs> exactly. And our movies don't all have monkey names. So we get at the start, we get May Nest and W.C. Fowles, starring in My Little Chickadee. Didn't even need to change the name there. Um, we get Indiana Drake, which comes from the creators of Beaks, and Foul Wars, and it's called Breeders of the Lost Stork. <laughs> the Splash Dance. You can see why they do it, and some of the gags are quite cute, and they're obviously having fun with it. And to give them credit, like everything in the background of those scenes is a gag or a reference in some way. Yeah. There is attention to detail in yeah, that. Yeah, there is. But it's attention to detail on a stupid joke that makes no <laughs> sense. For me, the worst one is when she's going through his wallet. Actually, not, not just oh, because God. of the condom, which just like was the point where I actually wanted to switch the film off. But you know, just the fact that all the kind of credit cards and the money and stuff was all just duck puns, and it's like, but you have you have nothing else to compare this to. Being a duck is just normal for you, so you <laughs> yes, don't need yeah. to reference the fact that you're a duck. It's so weird, and, and like when later in the movie when Howard gets really upset that someone feeds him eggs, and like they're not yeah. duck eggs. They're chicken, They're chicken eggs. eggs. <laughs> what, what's his problem? Like it would. It, I don't see the difference between him being fed a duck egg and me being fed a duck egg. I mean, humans eat veal, which is a baby form of, a, of another animal. Like so, even yeah. if that's his issue, like it seems like a very weird thing to get irate about. And half of the time, he's getting really annoyed that people are comparing him to a duck and being like, "Oh, what? Just because I'm a duck doesn't mean that I can fly." But then at other times he's like, I'm a duck, what are you doing this for? Oh, Howard is the worst. It's fair to say he the really film is, is inconsistent. <laughs> <laughs> that is what I'm trying to say. One point I want to make is that Duck World seems to have a kind of cartoonish quality that the rest of the film doesn't, so it seems like it's deliberate in that sense. Yeah. Like, I don't know if they thought they were doing the kind of Disney satire. But if they're doing that, they, I don't think they go far enough with it. Well, I completely agree. I just think, as a as a mental exercise, imagine that the opening scene had been animated instead of live action with shitty costumes. Ooh, I would quite yeah, like sort of see how the context would have worked. But also, but, but then you've, you've nailed one of the biggest problems with the film itself as well which is that Howard himself should be animated really yeah, he, he, yeah, he should be a Roger Rabbit um, mm-hmm. I don't know if they would have been capable of doing that in 86 but but it's so strange because have. I mean like you, you reference Roger Rabbit which is a really good comparison but I feel like Roger Rabbit is a movie with the trappings of being for kids in that it has this animated rabbit and that it's got the licenses to use all the other mm. cartoon characters in the background but from word go, it goes, this is a film noir, and the, 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 these these might be cartoon characters, but they're not your cute little Mickey Mouses. They are, like, foul, we've got a foul-mouthed baby, and we've got a duck with marital <laughs> problems. And it's it commits that the whole way through. This is a movie that sets up all that kind of, like, 
sets itself up as a kind of like a kids film with puns and jokes and a lot of the time plays like a kids film but then has just some horrendously inappropriate and adult Mm. stuff and this is rated PG It just doesn't. It doesn't know to walk that line. And actually, yeah, Roger Rabbit is a really great comparison because the the tonal line that Roger Rabbit walks is so difficult. And Roger Rabbit, I think, walks it perfectly. Because I that, think like, it you know, knows that film is just what so, tone yeah, it is striving for. Exactly, it knows what it's aiming for, and it manages to just hit that balance of yeah, having those kids' film trappings and but still being suitable for kids to watch. I mean, scary mm-hmm. as hell, but there's nothing that's inappropriate for kids. Children should not yeah, watch the, this movie. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, you know, from the moment two minutes into the film where you've got duck tits, uh, it's just and and it's like, and I'm pretty sure I saw this as a kid, and I I don't know why I can did. I walk you through a few <laughs> moments that happen in the first five to ten minutes of this movie. So <laughs> Howard sits down on his chair, and this actually brings us to there are a few cuts in this movie. If you buy it on DVD, there is about fifty two seconds of cuts. Why some of this stuff gets cut and some of it doesn't, I don't know, but it does. So when we first meet Howard, he sits down. This is cut from the mo- from the DVD version, but he then opens um, a duck equivalent of Playboy magazine. I think, is it called Playbill, maybe? <laughs> but so Howard opens up this magazine, which prominently shows duck boobies, and Howard then is basically it's applied that he's about to jerk off because his chair then starts shaking and it's as if we've cut away because he started jerking off. But no, he's not. It's actually that his chair is going bonkers and is going to transport him to another planet. So it flies through the wall. We see the famous duck with titties um, uh, in the bath. And, and so this duck with breasts is looking like she's about to start masturbating. Then Howard flies through the wall and she very clearly kind of goes, huh, I don't care, and does start masturbating in the I bath. I mean, ducks aren't even mammals. No, <laughs> why does the duck have breasts? Like, human breasts. <laughs> they didn't, they evolved from ducks. They didn't evolve from humans. Why does she have breasts? <laughs> I can't, can't even say words properly, I'm so confused. <laughs> then, <laughs> then when Howard does, like, get transported to Earth, I mean, again, this is really weird because he's, like, surrounded by, like, these street punks who carry him into a bar for no reason and pull him out. And then he's, like, thrown out because someone thinks he's a child in a costume. Yeah, I like the idea that when the guy says no children allowed, his reaction to what he thinks is a child is to hurl the child through the air (laughs) into a pile of garbage. Then Howard finds a couple making out in an alleyway, and his reaction to that is to molest her. He puts his hand up yeah. her skirt. Why, does, why is Howard molesting this woman? We're approximately seven minutes in here. <laughs> we are then introduced. We, we then have Howard and Beverly meet for the first time when two guys are trying to rape her in an alley. Yeah. <sighs> it was what the is going on in this fucking movie, guys? <laughs> I'm sat there watching and it going, I knew this movie had a reputation and I knew it was weird and I kind of knew some of the sexual stuff that was coming up with Leah Thompson and the duck. But... I was not braced that, for all of that. <laughs> that scene with those two guys is just so unbelievably just ham-fisted. Like, in, in both, like, conception and execution. Because in execution, it's just laughable. It's like a couple of drama students doing an improv. Um, it's just, oh. And it's... What's weird is it's one of quite a few scenes that, like... I can understand it being the case when Howard's around because of them um, dubbing the dialogue later. But so much of this film is badly ADR'd. 
Um, <laughs> like I say, a lot of it seems to be because of them getting over the hurdle of the fact that, that you know they didn't voice Howard until later. But there's loads of scenes where people's voices just don't line up with them on screen. Well, so that and Howard that seems, seems to be like different every time. Like if he's walking or if he's sat down, it's like it seems to me that like sometimes he might be like part puppet, part animatronic. I'm not sure how he was done. But that, like you can see from the actors who played him, that they did have some little people actors. Portraying yeah, no, they, well, they all were because they started off. Um, actually, the, you know, the first actor cast to play Howard was Jordan Prentice from In Bruges. <laughs> yes, he was in yeah. Bruges. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when he was like thirteen. Mm. Um, and then there was some kind of problem with labour laws, so he couldn't do the night shoots, and a lot of the film was shot at night, so they had Ed Gale, and then Ed Gale and Jordan Prentice were completely different heights, like Jordan Prentice was quite a bit taller than Ed Gale, so they realised that the stuff that they shot with Jordan Prentice didn't really match up, so they just had Ed Gale do most of it. But then there's about four or five other credited actors who must have played him in individual scenes well, or there are some There are some thing. shots where he's clearly a, a full-size man with a duck head on, <laughs> like I think it's mostly the fight scenes where they just got a regular so they just kind of show the top half kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, and like the proportions are all off. It's absolutely crazy. Can I ask you when when Howard is flying through space on towards Earth away from his egg shaped planet? Because again, his planet is shaped like an egg. <laughs> um, is the movie riffing on Superman at that point? Because I imagine Superman was probably the like the the main superhero movie that had preceded Howard the Duck, and so he's flying away from this planet with two moons, and we've got this narration going on as he goes through space and lands on Earth. I got that exact vibe because of the narration, and I did wonder, were they thinking like, oh, this is how you do superhero movies, because this is what they did in Superman, or did they think they were satirising Superman? Like, I can't answer that question, but it definitely came up. Yeah, it, it, it definitely came to mind for me. Okay, guys, should we should we talk about the Howard-Beverly relationship? Yes, let's. <laughs> I would love to. Do we have to? It is, um, <laughs> it is a strange and wonderful thing. Let's first of all say that <laughs> Leah Thompson is... She is... She's good in this movie. You're right, Seb. She's giving it her all. And I I felt so very sorry for her so frequently <laughs> during this movie because she's really good. It is one of the most thankless roles that anyone has ever been given. I mean, she's coming off of Back to the Future, uh, which is the greatest movie ever made, and I'll hear no arguments about it. And No, I agree. <laughs> and she is being... And, like, I'm not sure whether... Like, the movie doesn't know what tone it's striving for. And so I feel like... Uh, I'm not sure whether Leah Thompson knew what she was playing because, like, in the first scene where she kind of puts him to bed in the apartment and then goes through his wallet, it's it seems like quite a maternal relationship that she kind of like strokes his head and then like when she finds the tiny, disgusting, loose duck condom in his wallet. Uh, um, uh. Another bit that is cut from the DVD, but you can find it uh, online because I watched this on. Oh, DVD I wish I'd watched the when, DVD version. when I watched the other bits. Um, <laughs> she's kind of she kind of like laughs and goes, "Oh." Howard. And it's at that point it seems yeah, it seems like quite maternal, like friendship maternal. And then it changes. It is no, it's, it's just, just very uncomfortable, isn't it? All it does is it makes that character just seem really stupid and strange like, and the, uh, the only averted. way that like the plot of, of most of what happens in this film works is if she is genuinely like a bit simple because nothing nothing she does or says can make sense otherwise mm. um, so like, like the one thing I like about that scene is that she calls his bluff like there is a character moment oh of sorry are we, are we he, skipping ahead to the scene now 
<laughs> I assumed you were, yeah. Oh, okay, but so so in between that though, he has kind of like gone off in a huff and got this job in a brothel, um, which again yeah. is disgusting. Um, and he gets thrown <laughs> into a hot tub while two customers are presumably having sex in it. Yeah. After having walked down a corridor where people are just, like, having sex in corridors. Have you never been to like... a brothel? That's I've, what it's like. I've never been to hot tub fever or whatever it's called. Actually, hang okay. on. No, saying that implies that I, I, have, I, I haven't been there, but I have been to a brothel. It's so weird because all of this stuff comes in between stuff that doesn't seem like it would be in any have any place in an adult comedy. All the stuff about figuring out where Howard came from is just kind of like dumb exposition. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Additional stuff and Tim Robbins by that point has shown up playing wacky yeah. scientist who Tim Robbins, Mr. Um, we really wanted Rick Moranis for this part, but we couldn't get him. He was busy doing Little Shop of Horrors. And someone had told Tim Robbins to act and really, really, just go for it, Tim. Just, like, you're a little bit too small there. It's like that Futurama episode, like, more, more, I can't see you emoting. More emoting. I genuinely Wave your did arms. not expect going into it. Like, I like Tim Robbins, and I even like Tim Robbins when he's playing complete morons, because The Hudsucker Proxy is one of my favourite films. I did not expect going into this film that the worst thing about it would be tim robbins like i would have thought he would be one of the few good things about it but my god i mean i know sorry we're talking about howard and beverly but that character is just unbelievably i don't think i can endorse that he's the worst thing though (laughs) the worst the worst thing is all the creepy sex the creepy sex stuff is the worst thing but he's the worst character and the worst performance and just use the word character very loosely in this film (laughs) yeah He's the worst person. <laughs> okay, but let's get back to let's get back to Leah Thompson and Beverly because yeah. uh, so at this point, so Howard has then kind of like he's been down in his luck. His brothel job has gone badly. The, he tried to bite the woman who got him the job on the bum. Another yeah, one of nice the little a bit of um, bit of attempted sexual assault there from Howard. Yeah. Yeah. Howard is a pervert. He is a sexual predator that deserves lo- which, to be locked up. It, it was the seventies. Like he is a seventies male, which by default means he's a sexual predator. I mean, I don't want to say it would be okay, because it's still not okay in a general sense, but if that was at least a consistent character trait, that he was a sort of, you know, sort of skeevy guy, um, you know, kind of wisecracking skeevy guy, like, it wouldn't really make him a very appealing character, but it would mean that he had a consistent character <laughs> yeah, from start to finish. it would make finish. him a character, <laughs> I think it, as opposed to a voice. I think he's skeevy. They set him up 
about to jerk off to I think it might be Play Duck magazine maybe it was Play Duck and he also like he's got a he's got a postcard from Michelle and like a answering machine message from Mindy he's clearly they set it it's up. clearly a bit they of a set it up but they yeah, but then they don't follow through on it because then they make him because they realise that they're trying to do a, a family anthropomorphised yeah, character well, yes. comedy, so they make him lovable instead <laughs> part way through all of a sudden. But it is weird so. that he's the biggest <laughs> pervert in a movie that stars noted paedophile Jeffrey Jones. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know, don't yeah, know whether that will make the final cut. <laughs> That's one for the extras at the end of the year. It's not liable if it's true. <laughs> That's true, and it is true. He pled guilty. But so he, when he's when he's finished doing all of that weird stuff, he then turns back up and meets back up with Beverly again, and they make friends. And Beverly takes him back to his to her apartment. And this is Leah Thompson in 1986, like absolutely gorgeous girl in her early 20s parading around in her underwear and it actually makes quite a nice parallel with Back to the Future where you're watching this scene going well that girl is clearly beautiful and that other character is ostensibly our hero and there is some implied romantic entanglement but my god there is nothing I want to happen less than for them to hook up (laughs) please do not let that happen Yeah, but the difference is in Back to the Future, the other character is thinking that at the same time. Yes. Whereas here... Well, it's not clear what either of them are thinking, is it? Because it's like, again, again, the movie doesn't know what it wants to commit to. Like, does it want to commit to, okay, there is some weird sexual stuff going on here, or at least they like each other, even if it's not sexual. But then that whole scene is a whole kind of like, oh, I want to have sex with you. Oh, cool, I want to have sex with you as well. Oh, no, I don't really. I never really did. Uh, Okay, neither did I. Let's just have a kiss and go to bed. And then let's have people walk in and it still be weird. (laughs) This is the thing that it it kind of seems like that film is supposed to be kind of the two of them calling each other's bluff. And, and like, if you just view that in isolation, I think it, it almost successfully plays that. The problem is the rest of the film implies so much more in the way of there being attention there. I think the film almost flat out, as as it continues, confirms that they are. Well, she calls him her boyfriend right at the end of well, the she, film. She, well, yeah. you say right at the end of the film. It, it, it should be right at the end of the film, but there's like another half hour after it. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so she says he's, he's her boyfriend, and then another character in the film actually goes... Oh, that's disgusting! And she kind of looks and like, and and that's what I mean. I kind of feel like the the film is saying yes, it is happening, and the film knows it's disgusting, but isn't it hilarious? Except watching it, it's not funny. It's just it's just horrible. It's just especially when you've got I other mean, stuff espe- in there like the condom. Especially when you consider the mating habits of ducks. But yeah, if anyone knows anything about duck anatomy, not even and just anatomy behavior like everything about the way ducks reproduce is vile. On on the level of human morality <laughs> is absolutely <laughs> abhorrent. Um, and yet, you know, I don't think that that relationship is the worst relationship in this film because <laughs> I can't understand how Tim Robbins's character is going out with one of Beverly's band like that that to me at actually least they're makes, the same species no, see but that still makes less logical sense to well, me what I assumed was happening with Tim Robbins there was that in an earlier draft he was clearly supposed to be Beverly's love interest human love interest except they realised that they wanted it to be Howard and Beverly 
um, and yeah. that it, it, it would only confuse things for Tim Robbins to be a love interest or it would make things a lot more explicit if she doesn't end up with Tim Robbins if he is the love interest yeah you can see how they got to that point I'm just, I'm just looking at the lyrics for the Howard the Duck song that they sing at the end Cherry Bombs I think is Beverly's band and when they finally sing and this, this again yeah. is something that I think almost goes some way to confirming the relationship because they she kind of nods to him off stage and he winks at her as if as if, it looks like boyfriend and girlfriend again and yeah. in the song it's like they, <laughs> here's some lines from it call him Howard the Duck ain't no way to conceal it with a feather's touch I love him apart call him Howard the Duck ooh if it ain't funk you don't feel it and he shot an arrow straight to my heart please stop and then there is a line later on that says, come into my tub of love. <laughs> so, so, right, what I'm, what I'm driving at here is that disgusting scene earlier in the film. And it's, <laughs> it's so weird to call it disgusting when beautiful Leah Thompson is, like, parading round in the clothes that she's wearing. It's Look, I'm, I'm going to go on the record and say I think most interspecies romances are disgusting. <laughs> I don't care who that offends. I think it. I, I could almost imagine that that Leah Thompson scene, if that happened in, an, in another, like, 18, 80s teen movie, say, where Leah Thompson is kind of, like, doing everything she does in that scene, but with a human being... It would be like up there with Phoebe Cates in Fast Times as like one of the iconic <laughs> sexy scenes of the eighties. But because it's with a duck, it is hey, let's throw out a pun here. It's foul. It's absolutely foul. <laughs> I do think you you have to give Leah Thompson credit for spending the entire film working as hard as possible to have chemistry with a bloke in a duck suit who isn't actually speaking dialogue to <laughs> not even one bloke eight blokes yeah yeah there was a I, I read there was a line where she said that um she found it much easier to act opposite ed gale rather than jordan prentice yeah. and oh it's God, like yeah, yeah probably because <laughs> otherwise you've got those scenes with a 13 year old boy Just so a, oh, yeah yeah. God, this uh, yeah, this is horrendous. A very con- a very confused thirteen year old boy. We can only imagine. Yeah. <laughs> also, Leah Thompson must have spent this whole film hearing every other character in the film, like minor character, anything, talk about her in an extremely rapey way. Like her manager wants to rape her. Um, she gets she, the, the positions that she gets put in by Jeffrey Jones after he's transformed. When he has an enormous tongue tentacle pop out of his body like something out of a creepy hentai movie the this this is the this is one of the this is one of the rapiest movies i've ever seen not to include rape the plot does hinge on her being impregnated yeah basically yeah. and that, and that is the scene when he talks about that is when he produces his tentacles to put in a cigarette lighter yeah another scene which you know, doesn't i say, I say a, plot like this film makes any sense Oh, I mean, we haven't even got onto the plot. I mean, we should really, we should, we should. I think we should really put the Leah Thompson stuff to bed before we get to the plot. <laughs> Don't say bed, not not in this context. And when everyone walks in and looks at them, yeah, but they should. They also shouldn't be walking into her apartment that late at night. I know he says something like the door was unlocked, but that's not really an excuse. Tim Robbins, another very <laughs> rapey character, just walks into her, to her room late at night, and then. Even though he's dating one of the other girls in the band, when he arrives after their gig, says, "I didn't, st- I didn't come for the gig, but I arrived in time to see you all get dressed." Something like that. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. 
Okay, but yeah, so so shall we shall we start getting going on the plot stuff? Because that is the point after that after that scene with Leah Thompson. When the movie is just kind of meandered around. I mean, if you're talking about in the comics, Howard just goes around and stuff happens to him. That kind of is what happens for the first 40, 45 minutes until Jeffrey Jones shows, turns up and explains some science that basically their laser beam brought him to this planet. And then he goes I love to the fact that it's it. a laser beam. <laughs> like, it's like, was this film made in the 1950s when a laser beam was the most technically advanced thing? Oh, we fired a laser into space and it brought you here from. But it's another thing that like, suggests that it should galaxy. be a kids' movie, isn't it? It's like, oh, a laser beam brought you here. Yeah, okay, that yeah. makes sense for a kids' movie. We don't need any. Like, if it was a spy kids' movie, that was the, explana- be the explanation I wanted. But that exposition is coming at the end of that creepy sex scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is sort of... The idea of the plot happening at all kind of is... It's like the antithesis of a Howard the Duck story in that he something big happens and he saves the world. And it's sort of like, if you were making a Howard the Duck film and really committing to it, you would have gone for a plot on the level of, like, Clerks or something. Like, really low-end... low, low end, no stake stuff. Do you know what I think? Do you know what I think? Howard is the is the, the how the comics are closest to in terms of like plot and how the plots unfold. It's Hitchhiker's Guide mm-hmm. uh, because the stories are generally quite inconsequential as far as like what the characters are doing in the world. Aside from the fact that there is a story where he runs for president, but you know that's played quite ludicrous. But it's more the it's just. Um, things just happen one after the other for no apparent reason. There's no sense of actually building a plot or of plots having consequences. Mm. Um, and it's it's really got that kind of similar uh, ethos to Hitchhiker's like, Guide. I'm, really. I'm going to give a reference point that no one except me and possibly Al Kennedy will get. <laughs> but they made a film of the Cromarty High School manga, which is is essentially a gag strip with observations about life in... And when they made the film, the first half was a bunch of non-sequitur jokes. And the second half was an alien invasion where all the characters ganged up to stop it. And as a result, the second half of the film was completely (laughs) abysmal. And that is exactly the same thing here. Like, the first half of the film is stupid, but it's it's kind of true. It is entertainingly bad. Well, it's... Plot-wise, it's true to what a Howard the Duck film would be, which is a duck arrives on Earth and everything goes crazy. Whereas the second half is like someone goes, oh, I guess we'd better make this into a film, and just... Like slapped a heroic quest narrative. Well, this is the thing that the, the second half of the film is them going, "Oh, we've set up this idea that Howard the Duck is uh, a, a new type of superhero, but he hasn't been a superhero yet, so we have to make him one, and we have to give him a villain to fight." Mm-hmm. Um, and also, sorry, since, since I used the phrase "a new kind of superhero," we do have to mention the trivia fact of the fact that this uh, yeah, film been, wasn't I've called Howard the Duck in the UK, but was called Howard, a new breed of hero. And I don't know if it's true, but I want to believe that the reason for it was that when it opened in America um, it got a three word review in a particular publication that just said Howard the Turkey <laughs> and to avoid that happening again they renamed it for the UK <laughs> oh, good. so yeah he does proceed to save the world the second half of this film I mean, it's probably more than half even, is really, really boring. Like, I feel like most of the entertaining <laughs> stuff has got out of the way. And then the second half, there are there are absurd and entertaining moments in there. Bad entertaining. But it, it kind of, like, the second half of the film is just, like, five really long scenes that all kind of last, like, <laughs> 10 to 15 to 20 minutes long each. I thought they were never going to get out of that truck. <sighs> I thought I thought they were never going to stop flying the microlite. 
<laughs> okay, so they so after Jeffrey Jones has explained about the laser beam, they go to where the laser yeah. beam is, which has gone wrong again. And unbeknownst to us at this point, these dark overlords, one of them has managed to come down in the same way that Howard has, but is incubating inside of Jeffrey Jones's body. I would as well, just the start of that scene is, for me, one of the most baffling parts of the film, where they turn up at the lab. <laughs> this incident has already happened, and this bloke <laughs> with his half-burned face runs toward them and screams. And, like, as they're wandering in, they're going on about how there's, there's no security and, and where is everybody and stuff. And then all of a sudden they get inside, and it's complete chaos. And they just kind of stroll up. And, like, everyone's running around and everything's crazy and everything's exploding. And they just kind of wander up and just go, oh, yeah, we were kind of hoping to use the machine to send Howard home. Is that still on? Can, can we still use it? <laughs> and that's, it's, not the fir- it's, it's, it's the first but not the only example of the characters not reacting to what's going on around them. And I, I won't talk about it now because it's something from a bit later on. But there is another example where something is happening in front of the characters and they are not <laughs> responding to it. And so then I feel like we should almost really skim over it, but Howard then gets, like, the police then take him. And, I mean, he gets molested back. I mean, he's done a lot of molesting. I'm not saying he deserves it, but (laughs) Howard does get molested back. They strip him and try and find the zip on his costume and can't find it, which suggests to me they've pretty thoroughly searched. Um... (laughs) And then they... The, inter- the interesting thing about that, by the way, is that... The, uh, not, well, it's not really an interesting thing about that scene, but um, there's the whole thing with them. They kind of they take his clothes off and he's wearing, like, boxer yes. shorts. Um, so, obviously, this, this film dates from a point where Disney had decided... Uh, where Disney had noticed Howard. Because for most of the run of the comics, he's dressed like Donald Duck. He doesn't wear trousers. Yeah. He just wears, like, you know, a shirt and a jacket. And there came a point, and I think it was actually after Gerber had left, where DC started leaning on Marvel. So they started giving him trousers in the comics. And to this day, even though Disney still own, even though Disney now own Marvel, Marvel are still not legally allowed to have Howard the Duck wearing top half clothes <laughs> and no trousers. Yeah, I think wasn't there a list? There's a famous list of stipulations they made at some point, and yes, yeah. that's, that's like the big one. Right. Yeah, and it's like even though they now own the character, they still don't want that to happen, which you can understand. So thanks but, to Disney, this movie um, is a little bit less weird, at least. Yeah, because I'm not sure somebody, after somebody, the somebody, condom <laughs> and the sex scene, I would have wanted Howard running around with no pants on. For yeah. The movie. <laughs> <laughs> but if he had a shower, presumably he'd still put a towel around himself. A la okay, so um, Howard and Beverly go on the run and they take Jeffrey Jones with them, who is undergoing this, uh, <laughs> this transformation. And they arrive at a diner and it coincides with my favourite line in the movie where Jeffrey Jones looks like he's died and suddenly he <laughs> comes back to life. But is now he now has a dark overlord inside him. And he yeah. says... I am not Jenning anymore. The transformation is complete. I am now someone else. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know why he's not entirely clear. This is our second example of things happening in front of the characters. Because for the rest of that scene, Donald and Beverly 
talk to and treat him like he's still yes. Jenny. He has just flat out told them, I am an alien parasite that has consumed <laughs> this character from within and I'm going to take over the world and destroy you all. And they still sit there and order their food with him. I love him. that line specifically though, because like he says, I am now someone else. And it reminds me of like, if I was a kid and I was like playing like make-believe or something, I'd be going like, I'm not Joe anymore. I am, uh, I haven't decided and you had time to think of what you were. Um, someone else. <laughs> and then he proceeds to explain to them, and you're right, they still don't react. But it's only after he and starts even, using like, later on in that powers, scene. and that diner scene yeah. goes on for, oh, how long See, are they in the diner? I kind of think for the first part of that diner scene, it's quite good. Um, and you get, and okay, I mean, we should sort of... I suppose have a disclaimer that um, if we're going to talk about like the quality of Jeffrey Jones's acting, it does come with the disclaimer of you know he's an awful human being and everything. But he's good in that scene playing the kind of creepy transformation. So that's kind of and also he gets probably what is my favourite line in the film when um, he just he says something like you know why aren't you going to do anything? And he just goes she took my eggs away because I had a complaint about the eggs. It's just such a bizarre not secretary of a line. I mean, th- that scene is so weird because they're not really paying him any mind. They're like... And yeah. then they figure out that, okay, yes, he obviously is powerful and has, has gone through some kind of transformation. They then ask him for help and he yeah, helps Yeah, that's them. the weird thing. Because, yeah, because that second half of that scene is... Because I say, I, I like kind of the first half of that scene. And the second half is where it really goes to shit because you've got the just the ridiculous weirdness. Okay, so you have, like, the fight breaks out and stuff like that. But then this whole thing where all of these patrons of this bar, like, not this bar, you know, this diner, having just encountered something where they don't know what it is. It's like it appears to be a kind of half-duck, half-man thing. And their instinct is to all, as one, grab him and put him on a table. And they're about to chop him up and eat him. <laughs> And it's just, and that, and that scene goes on for so, so long. And then, yeah, all of a sudden, the way that they get out of the scene is the villain who has just said, I'm going to destroy you all and take over this Saves planet. Them. Howard and Beverly get him to save them. They do, they do explain that. To be fair to them, they say, We need Howard to get the code key. But why do they need thing. Howard to get the code key? Because he's so powerful. He could <laughs> yes. just destroy the guy who's got the key and yes. take it I mean, off I uh, his, his powers are still growing. Though. I genuinely didn't know in that scene whether Jeffrey Jones was being set up as the main villain of the movie or whether that he was going to end up as some comedy sidekick while other stuff happened. <laughs> um, and it wasn't. It was only at the end of the scene where he kidnaps her and then gets even creepier that I'm like Oh, okay, so he is the bad guy. We just had a really weird scene where we kind of used the main villain of the movie before we confirmed that he was the main villain. As comedic relief, the diner scene takes a long time. But then there is a whole kind of cutting between two scenes with Tim Robbins, who randomly has been taken there by the police because he needs to be there, (laughs) taking Howard and just finding a plane. They find a plane. Yeah, they find a plane parked in the car park. Which Howard should be able to fly because he's a duck. He's a duck. And so they fly that around away from police for what seems like forever. Whilst at the same... And why do they never go any higher than road level? They just fly along the road with the police chasing them. But at the same time, Jeffrey Jones is driving around with Leah Thompson and he needs to get power uh, because... I'm not to help him grow inside the body. Is that? 
I think he's like running out of energy, so he just needs energy. So he stops off at a nuclear power plant after, for a pit stop. After, like, again, telling Leah Thompson that she is going to be used as a vessel for one of these other dark yeah. overlords and taking out his rapey tongue and sticking it in the charger in the car. Which, to be fair, is an effectively creepy scene. Like, if you're going for unpleasant creepiness that scene is unpleasant and creepy and it's you know i don't know if because the film struggles so much with tone you know if it's trying to be a kind of you know family entertainment film it shouldn't be doing that scene but if it decided that it wanted to do that scene then that scene's quite well done well, that, it, it's unsettling. Plot, the know? whole plot is that like bizarre has that bizarre lovecraftian quality about like nameless evil from outer space yeah, like you can sort of see how they would go. Oh, let's make this Howard movie a, a Lovecraft film, but they didn't. They just went, let's make the back end of this Howard movie a Lovecraft film. Like, there, there's just no no coherence to any of it. I can't understand why they would have chosen that above any any other plot they could. It have just seems very weird, doesn't it, for a Howard How the Duck, which again is a comedy, to have like yeah, for for like a laser to be bringing these demon overlords down from. And at some points, it, it does seem like it wants us to be legitimately terrified of Jeffrey Jones and of the Dark Overlords, and uh, but uh, and at other times that it wants us to be laugh- laughing at it. I guess. Yeah, he's joking about eggs. But I mean, eventually, at the end of that never-ending dual road trip, we get to the final scene, which takes place. Uh, I mean, on a big soundstage. It's just a big soundstage. Like, it, could, <laughs> it could have been more obviously anything else. <laughs> Again, it gets rapey with Leah Thompson as she's tied down below the laser. And there's one, there's just one bit where Jeffrey Jones like rubs his hand up her leg, and it looks like he's going to molest her. But then he just tightens the strap that's tying her down. It's like the movie wants you to keep remembering, hey, this woman could be abused in a second, but well, we're not going to show you it. And all the while, I mean, it, it seems like it takes ten minutes for Tim Robbins and Howard to get in there to start fighting with the dark overlord it has this whole bit where they're like um oh you know we have to creep up really carefully so that he won't see us um and then they just presses a button on the thing and then it crashes through and then it's like oh well it is a bit like the screenwriter didn't have a delete button isn't it <laughs> or the editor it's well, like, yeah did it's they not like, well we've already filmed it so it's got to be in the film now yeah. there's so much bland action and fighting in that in that final scene where howard is getting to Jeffrey Jones to fight him. And, uh, I mean, eventually he just kind of, like, drives a little cart towards him with this weapon on, and they both fire lasers <laughs> yeah. at each other. And he defeats him, and you're like, oh, well, good, at least the movie's over. And <laughs> oh, but, Hang on, just before that, though, remember, before he fights the actual beast... No, that is... That, when he's fighting, when that's Jeffrey what I'm talking Jones. about. It's, it's oh, taken, right, okay. like, a good 15 minutes <laughs> to reach this big conclusion where he's fighting Jeffrey Jones... We have the fake-out, is Howard dead moment, which yeah. we've already had in the diner earlier. So I think this is... This, I think it's the second time, it might be the third, that time that we think that Howard has died in this movie, but he hasn't. Honestly, it's worse than the current Marvel Cinematic Universe, this movie. Um, and <laughs> they defeat Jeffrey Jones, at which point he just gets back up, despite having had... His body, like, presumably yeah, cancer-ravaged like, when he goes to a nuclear well, power plant and charges himself. Well, his also, before that... out of his back. He, he, <laughs> just, he described something along the lines of, uh, my organs are being transformed and replaced. Yeah. And it's like, you know, the idea is that this creature has eaten him from the inside. So how does he get his body back? He, sh- he should just be, like, a lifeless husk. 
<laughs> but the point of making here is, and I'm, I mean, I'm sure listeners are thinking, shouldn't the podcast be over at this point? But it can't be because the movie's not over. Because then the, the dark overlord that has been separated from Jennings' body, I mean, he is not Jennings anymore. He is the dark overlord. And the dark overlord then has to fight Howard in a scene which lasts almost as long as the first fight. And it's it's no more exciting. It's To be fair, that monster is a good design. The stop motion is not very well executed because it is 1986, not 1956, and it's not very well matted on to the, the screen. But the design is a pretty good design. I be- and I believe it was um, it dinosaur supervisor Phil Tippett who did. Yeah, it. I mean, it's it's um, it's creepy. It looks it looks like kind of in in that alien way that it's. Uh, uh, I'm talking about Ridley Scott's Alien, where the creature kind of has lots of parts that I, I think are supposed to remind you of uh, both male and female genitalia in the way that yeah, they it, it's, it's a bit H.I. Geiger, isn't it? Yeah, Howard has to make the tough decision. It's a really poignant moment, guys. <laughs> Howard has to make the tough decision to go, look, I'm going to destroy this laser so the Dark Overlords can't come down. I'm going to save the human race. Because it's really, really important to remember at this point that this machine is a magical machine that was not created by humans, had nothing to do with the scientist who is standing there who is still alive and cannot possibly ever be built again. The documentation was incinerated, clearly. (laughs) Um, we can't build a, a, a rocket that goes to the moon again. So, yeah, I'm not sure if you remember how the scene ends when they finally defeat the Dark Overlords and destroy the laser. I can't, I can't remember, actually, yeah. because no, I, think I, was, I think I was on the verge of a manic, Crying. depressive episode. I'll tell you how it ends. It ends with us thinking that Howard is dead again for, like, oh, a third yeah, or fourth and time Howard... in the movie. <laughs> and Howard pretending to have been possessed yes. by a Dark Overlord uh... for shits and giggles. <laughs> I mean, there's always time for a joke, isn't there? <laughs> I think as far as actually liking things in this film, because I honestly, I mean, if, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen Howard the Duck, you should watch it because it needs to be seen to be believed. It's not good in any way. <laughs> Apart, like The only thing that I like about it is that Leah Thompson is in it and she is really giving it her all. And I quite, I like, I, I quite like um, a couple of the songs that the band <clears throat> sing. That, that, like, oh god, that one in the middle where she suddenly stops them and goes, "Oh, this is too depressing." And it's, yeah, you're right. But they're fun, but they're, they're generally quite fun. The, the first one that is like here in Hunger City. Oh, I had it stuck in my head for like three or four days afterwards. And the last one, the Howard the Duck song, is terrible, but oh, it's catchy. Very catchy. <laughs> like, to be fair, like the only reason that I know I must have seen at least some of the film when I was a kid <laughs> is because I remember that's, that song. That's exactly why I know I've seen at least the end of it, yeah. but that's all I remember. It. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like the way I would make this film watchable, and sort of part of me wonders if this what's act- what actually happened is if you took Howard out of this film and remade it to be about Leah Thompson's new wave band uh, somehow saving the world. Yeah, I really wanted to see a film based around that band, yeah. and not just because one of them was Holly Robinson Pete, who is awesome. Like that whole um, that that scene with all four of the band members in is like looks like really good fun, and you're going, oh, yeah. I'd like to spend more time with those people. Yeah, but you don't; they exactly the they just thing. disappear. <laughs> and it's like if this was a, a weird sort of sci-fi comedy about a new wave punk band who saved the world, 
that would work. It, it, it seems like it, it, it's the fact that they make a talking duck the star of it for no apparent reason. <laughs> it does have a like those just, scenes kind of have a like um, Gem and the Holograms, Josie and the Pussycats. Oh, so, kind yeah, of vibe. Gem yeah, and the Holograms, definitely. Josie and the exactly Pussycats. That. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, we did get a good Josie and the Pussycats movie. So you know, <laughs> yeah, like they just they latched onto the wrong idea and made the film about that. It's almost like the screenwriter had a different film in mind. Or maybe it's just me. Maybe I had a different film in mind. <laughs> yeah, the thing if we didn't make clear earlier about Beverly is Beverly being a rock singer doesn't come from the comics. That's the invention of the film. So, like, James, what you're saying about maybe the screenwriters had an idea for a completely different film that they folded into this sort of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, and, I, and I like all of that. And we, we should talk about, I mean, probably a good place to wrap it up is that very last scene where they're singing their Howard the Duck song where it seems like after saving the world... Beverly's band, the Cherry Bombs, are now the uh, are now huge. They found success. I, gu- I, I guess the idea is because Howard became yeah, their manager. They have a they better manager successful. now. I have no but idea why? what about Howard would have made them successful because he has no network of contact. <laughs> Surely every meeting he has must just start with them going, "Well, you're a duck." And also the so thing that I don't know how he made the them successful. Seems to try and establish, like sporadically throughout the film, is that Howard has some kind of musical talent that he's suppressed in his on his own planet to take yeah. a boring yeah, job. Yeah, he's as good as Thomas Dolby. He's literally as good <laughs> as Thomas Dolby. So so early earlier in the film, right, Howard is writing that song because he plays that little keyboard right, okay. when he's in Beverly's apartment. So the implication must be that Howard wrote that song. So Howard has written a song about how oh, awesome he is. He is the worst. She must have written the lyrics. <laughs> well, yeah, may, maybe she wrote the lyrics, but... You know, still, we were talking earlier about how it would have been much better if either the Duck World stuff or the film in general had been animated, and or you know how it'd been animated. There, w- the plan was originally for the film to be an entirely animated movie, um, but Lucas George Lucas owed a distributor a live action film, <laughs> yeah. so he decided to make it this. So, Howard the Duck is a contractual obligation movie. <laughs> uh, okay, um, shall we move on now, then, guys, and, and you can give me your. Um, comic book recommendations I say based on this film but maybe based on the title of this film there are really I mean there are other runs but there are kind of two main ones to talk about so recommending you something from the Steve Gerber run is quite tricky because obviously you know you need to read some of the Steve Gerber issues to get a sense of what it's all about Um, the problem is that they're as individual issues partly because they're from the 1970s and partly because they're by Steve Gerber they're quite dense so I don't want to recommend you too many issues but they're also while a lot of them are mostly standalone stories um, they kind of feed into each other in a really weird way you get a situation where often the start of an issue is wrapping up something from the previous issue before it then moves on to what that issue is all about Um, so I didn't want to just tell you to start at the beginning because the first issue of How the Duck, firstly, it isn't actually his first appearance anyway. And secondly, it's not the best issue. And also, I'd like you to read the storyline where Howard runs for president. Right. Um, because it is, it, it's one of the better storylines. And it's also really where the comic starts to really become about what it's about. Was, you know what I mean? It's, I was going to say, it, I find it bizarre they didn't adapt this storyline. If they're going to adapt <laughs> yeah. anything, this is the one to go for. Yeah. 
Um, so it's kind of because you get sort of about the first kind of five, six issues, as I say, are these kind of relatively self-contained issues that each sort of satirise and use a particular type of, of comic. And then it's issue eight is the issue where he actually runs for president. And from then on is when the comic kind of goes a bit more off to being its own thing. So what I'm going to recommend after that long and convoluted introduction is actually issues five through eight. So five, six, seven and eight. Um, because five is quite a good start point it's after the first few issues are out of the way but it opens it doesn't pick up a previous story thread at the start of the issue um it just opens with howard and beverly and you already know who howard and beverly are so you don't really need any other introduction to them um and then you've got four issues that that lead up and gradually build up to issue eight which is the proper story of the presidential campaign that issue does then kind of end on a cliffhanger and if you want to carry on by all means carry on but the next few issues after that are also a longer storyline that is probably the best storyline and i didn't want to get you to read six or seven issues because it will take you a while and you might not have time to so if you want to carry on reading by all means do but at least report back on um issues five through eight of the original run of how the duck from the 1970s by steve gerber and i think all those issues are drawn by gene colon the artists kind of switched around a bit to begin with but gene colon settled into mostly being the regular artist and he is really really good as well Excellent. so uh james what howard have you got for me like there have been other howard the duck comics since uh steve gerber left marvel but most of them have been very pretty much unilaterally bad um the exception to that is the re- the most recent volume of Howard the Duck, which is by Chip Starsky, who uh, is best known as the artist of Sex Criminals, mm. and Joe Quinones, who is uh, who is the artist for Chip Starsky. But so the most recent volume, uh, it's just been collected, so it might not be on uh, Marvel Unlimited yet, but you can pick it up off Amazon. It's called Howard the Duck Volume Zero: What the Duck. It doesn't have the kind of satirical aspect that the old Howard did. But it's a, you know, it's a pretty solid comedy. So this is the this is the Private Eye stuff. Yeah, it has a great version of Spider Man in it. It's pretty much a kind of a straight up comedy set in the Marvel universe, yeah. and it's very in the Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. And yeah, every time Spider Man appears, it's just tremendously <laughs> funny. Like I've I've literally had tears streaming down my face while reading <laughs> this book. Not everyone gets on with his style of humor, and if you don't get on with his style of humor, you probably hate the book. But if you get, or if you find him funny, you'll know within the first few pages if you find it funny or not. And if you like the first few pages, you'll like. But the if whole I thing. don't, I'll have to masochistically read through them anyway for the podcast. <laughs> well, yeah, but you, you've also just sat through the entirety That's of true. the movie for the podcast. I go through a so. lot of masochism for these podcasts. <laughs> this next section might be fairly masochistic as well. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to move on to our final section now, which is the pitch. And I feel like I should apologise for this in advance to Seven James and to you, the listeners. Because I'm inviting more duck puns, and hopefully a lot more duck puns. Because I thought, given that this movie establishes at the start that kind of the duck world has duck equivalents of all of our movies, like it seems like there is like a, a you know they have the same shops, they have the same movies, they have the same celebrities, but they're all ducks. So it stands to reason that. The Marvel Cinematic Universe must have duck equivalents on Duck World as well. So what I want you guys to do is to pitch me what one of those MCU duck equivalents might be. James, I'll come to you for some duck puns first. Oh, I have a very weak pun, I'm afraid. Okay. 
Uh, it also it requires you to know a relatively obscure species of duck. So I hope everyone's <laughs> clued up. Uh, the the character I would like to see in the MCU is the Mandarin, which it, like I assume you all have heard of the the breed of duck, the Mandarin duck. Uh. And I basically what I want to see is a version of the Mandarin on screen, which would make the current fans even more angry than the version in Iron Man three. <laughs> So I want them, I don't even want them, like, this shouldn't even be an equivalent. This should be the actual MCU Mandarin (laughs) is a duck. Seb, do you have some duck puns for me? I I feel like I've gone fully on board with the concept, so I'm feeling (laughs) confident about this one. (laughs) Um, So I would like to present to you Guardians of the Galquaxi. Nice. um, With a team made up of Star Mallard. Nice. Gamor Hen. (laughs) Drake. (laughs) Groose. It's like like Goose, but Groose. Rocket Water Vold. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that is torture. And of course, the, of course the, the, the killer thing right at the end of the film is the post credit scene in which we have a cameo from Howard the Human. Yes, yes. Um, before we end, I just like, I mean, I didn't put too much thought into this, but I just wanted Quacked in Duck America because his, his, <laughs> his uh, sidekick you know, could be Ducky Barnes. I almost <laughs> I almost did Duck to Doom but then I found out that's actually a character and I was like well I can't really do can't really do one that exists also he, w- he wouldn't be in the MCU yeah that, that is also true nah. okay I mean it's a resounding victory for Seb this week resounding <laughs> what was it I couldn't Rocket I couldn't compete with Water Star Mallard Rocket Water Vault. Well, cause, if there was any like, doubt ro- before Rocket- that moment, it was gone from my mind when that was... <laughs> well, you know, because Rocket wouldn't be a duck because he's not a human, so he would have to be a water-dwelling... I mean, I think we get it. ...you know, small mammal. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, it was Gamorhen I was most pleased with. I think you've, you've put more thought into this than they put into writing the Howard the Duck film, certainly. Uh. Okay, excellent duck puns, guys. Um, listeners at home, if you want to send us more MCU duck puns... I personally could spend all day reading them, so please email I will delete them unread. <laughs> That's it for this week, but uh, before I go through my usual spiel, James, uh, you, you have something you need to let the listeners know about. Yes, uh, I was a guest on the... At the time of recording, it's the most recent episode of Fantasticast, but if you want to go back and find it, it is episode 143, uh, Marvel Team-Up Issue 2. Uh, that's it's a podcast where they dissect appearances of the Fantastic Four retrospectively. Um, yeah, and I was a guest on that episode. So if you want to go and listen, that would be fun, I'm sure. Bonus James content this week. I, I was also on it ages ago, if you want to find that one. I can't remember what episode number <laughs> it was, but it was the first appearance of Adam Warlock was, were the two episodes I was on. I have so. never been on this podcast, but I endorse both Seven James's appearances. I haven't listened to either of them, but I'm sure they're great. I will listen. I'll go and listen. I'll, I'll review them on the next mini-sode. <laughs> okay, but that is it for this week. We'll hold you to that. <laughs> if you're enjoying the show, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast app of choice. And if you already subscribed, then please leave us a rating or review. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, at CU underscore podcast. And send us an email to cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com. You can find previous episodes of the podcast at cinematicuniverse.libsyn.com and because this is a Film Divider podcast on filmdivider.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye. Goodbye.
I've had missions go wrong and seen good people go down, all because someone didn't tell them what they were walking into. I moved on because that's the job, and that's what we do. But this... This is a whole new level of weird, and I don't think I want to step away from it. Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks' time with The Incredible Hulk. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 